0: Listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at Gracemosaic.org. Howard Thurman, the great preacher and civil rights leader, once made the observation that curiously, only a few of the Negro spirituals seem to focus on the birth of Christ. He suggests that this might be so, in part, because the original Advent story in the Bible clearly reminds us that Jesus was born into lowliness. His parents were of poor and of humble origins, and so many slave masters would have carefully edit this segment of the story out for their own twisted purposes it wasn't smart for them to teach the enslaved that Jesus was poor and dispossessed of power like they It wouldn't have been smart for them to communicate that the Savior of the world might be on their side." And so Thurman wonders aloud what limitless spiritual and emotional release would have been available to the slave if his introduction to Jesus had been on the basis of his role as the hope of the disinherited and the captive. In the teaching of the Christian religion, Thurman continues, In the teaching of the Christian religion to the slave, this aspect of the career of Jesus was carefully overlooked and continues to be even now. I think he provokes an important probing question for us this morning. Do our retellings of the first advent of Christ communicate the subversive significance of the birth of the one who was born poor. Is the Christmas story, the one that we rehearse year after year, told in such a way that it would be heard as good news to the poor and downtrodden? Because, don't you know, the good news of Christ's arrival was delivered not to strong people in high places, but to weak people in lowly places. People in places of poverty and humiliation, barrenness, and in the margins of society. See, Advent is the story of a Savior who came stooping so low to raise heavenward the lowly, the weak, the sinner. And that's what we find in today's passage, the story of Joseph, the earthly father of Christ. We're reminded that in the story of Christ, through Joseph's story, we're reminded that through the story of Christ's first arrival, grace came to someone who was confused and even humiliated, someone who came from a far-from-perfect family, someone who was a sinner, desperately in need of a Savior. And if that's true, then that just might mean that Advent is for me and for you. Advent is for the confused. See, we think Advent is for people who've got it all figured out, don't we? Christmas is for people who look put together, people who have it all together. But clearly that's not how this story started out. How did verse 18 begin? This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary and Joseph posted a sonogram image on their Instagram account. With the caption, guess we better get used to sleepless nights. Big eyes emoji, wink emoji, light brown baby emoji. Nah, no, no, no. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. Scandal. You see, Mary was pledged or betrothed to be married to Joseph, which was sort of like being engaged, except in those days it was actually legally binding. That's why Joseph was called Mary's husband, and there's talk of divorce in verse 19. So they weren't just engaged, they were were very engaged. And one day, Mary was found to be pregnant. Now, we don't know how Joseph found out. Maybe it was the baby bump, obvious for all to see. Or maybe Mary told him herself, I can't imagine that conversation having gone so well, can you? No, 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 God got me pregnant. (laughs) Try that one, right? We, we are told that this happened by a miracle through the Holy Spirit. But Joseph doesn't know that, does he? Not initially. All he knows is that his fiance is pregnant and he's not the daddy. I mean, just take a second to imagine what he was feeling, the devastation, the feeling of betrayal, the sense of loss, or even the anger towards Mary, towards that mystery guy. The feeling of being deceived, the embarrassment, I thought, I thought I knew her, I thought we were close. And of course they also lived in a small town. For sure, everyone knows by now, the rumor mill had begun to churn and of course, being from a small town, as some of you might know personally, their families were surely intertwined. And in fact, that's also what betrothal entailed. And culturally, marriage for them wasn't just a romance between two individuals, but a union of two families. So now mom and dad are getting involved. See, their dads used to play poker, their siblings used to ride their bikes together. Now things are just awkward. See, Joseph's almost wife apparently was unfaithful. What else could he conclude? So Joseph decides to divorce her, and he's humiliated, and he's confused, and his whole world is crumbling around him. And maybe that's how you're feeling today. Maybe today it's just one of those days, or maybe it's one of those decades for you. You're saying to yourself, what, what am I supposed to do next? Or, like Joseph, a big decision before you, maybe even a painful decision, and you don't know which way to go. You have no idea what God is doing in your life. Maybe you're even asking, maybe even with a shaking fist, Why is this happening to me? Maybe you lost a job, maybe a relationship, maybe you recently lost. Someone you love. Maybe you're battling an illness or someone that you love is battling an illness and the doctors have no idea what it is. Maybe it's chronic illness. The pain won't go away or maybe the pain did go away, but every day you're afraid it might come back. Facing disappointment, maybe in someone, maybe in something. Maybe you, like Joseph, are just feeling humiliated. I don't know the circumstances, but you feel bare naked before the world publicly or maybe privately. Maybe today, life, like life for Joseph so long ago, maybe today life for you feels like a fog. And then we see verse 20. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. See, somehow, miraculously, Mary had conceived a child By God the Holy Spirit. And not only did God explain this all to Joseph, but in verse 24, we're told something almost as miraculous. When Joseph woke up, he actually did what God through the angel told him to do. He took Mary home as his wife. And on top of that, he named the boy an act in the ancient world that would have symbolized his acceptance of Jesus as his own son. I mean, check this out. For all his confusion, for all his disappointment, his fear, his anger, his humiliation, his heartache, his fog, Joseph believed God. Joseph trusted God more than he trusted himself more than he trusted his own read, his own read on the situation, his analysis, his own feelings. We're so good at doing that. Yet Joseph, by God's grace, came to a point of believing God's explanation more than his own, and even more than his chattering communities as well. What about us? What about you and me? Can we trust God, follow God, even beyond what our eyes can see and our hearts can feel? Beyond what our minds can explain? Joseph believed God's promise and so can we. And you say, maybe you're saying already, that's not fair. I don't got no angel telling me the intel. (laughs) Where's my angel at, right? But listen, we can believe the same promise that Joseph got. Because God gives it to you as well. And that is his promise to be for you. In his son, Emmanuel. Emmanuel in the fog. Emmanuel in the darkness. Emmanuel in the confusion. You remember hearing that nickname? There in verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. You see, because God did not choose to stand far off from you in all your brokenness and confusion. He came near, and He came near, and He came from heaven to earth, and He came to rescue you and me, because his name is Emmanuel, his name is God with us. And he came as a human being, and he took upon himself every aspect of life as a human being. Did not come in richness and wealth. He came in poverty. Did not come in emotional indestructibility. Came with all vulnerability. He entered into our sorrow and suffering because his name is God with us. He died for our sins, becoming a human being that we might stand before him in Christ, that he might stand in our place in the courtroom of heaven, so that one day, 33 years later from this moment, Christ himself might bear the wrath of God as our true human representative, taking the judgment that every one of us deserve for our sins, that we might be forgiven and free so that you might have the confidence, that I might have the confidence to know that whatever it is that God is doing in your life today, in the confusion, in the darkness, in the fog, One thing that you can be sure of is that he loves you. One thing that you can be sure of is that he is with you. Because his name, his very name is God with us. And he promises, I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. Because his name is Emmanuel, God is with us. God is with you. You can know today, no matter how confusing, no matter how painful, no matter how many unanswered questions you've got, you can know today and take heart to know that God has not abandoned you. God has not forsaken you. I know it feels like that for some of you. God has not left you alone. He is God with us. Because Advent grace is for you, the confused. But secondly, Advent grace is also for broken families. You may have heard about the backlash and mockery that the Peloton company has recently received for its latest commercial about its high-end exercise equipment, the Peloton bike. Little video that went viral. Some of you may not be aware, and that's all right. <laughs> You're better off for it. But a little commercial that shows a a man who surprises his wife with a stationary bike as a holiday gift. Commentators and observers watching this commercial dismayed and observing, who's this man imposing upon this woman this gift when she's looking all right? Commercial ends with her saying, I didn't realize how much this would change me. and Some people figure there are lots of reasons that the commercial ought to have been changed, charges of sexism and classism and and all the rest. But one thing that stood out to me as being interesting is as people were expressing their ire about this dynamic between this man and this woman and this demand that she get into more exercise was all this speculation about this fictional family and all their dynamics in their marriage. about what's going on between this man and wife and his motivations and hers as well and the look on her face and what that must mean. We're living into the story. It makes you wonder, it makes me wonder if maybe we read into these things like that because even when we confront fictional families and marriages, we know all too well our own and we all know there's more to it then often meets the eye. You know, because you start digging around in our family stories, you start digging around mine, yours. You never know what kind of junk you're going to find, and not just in the past, but also in the present, right now. Sometimes you don't even need to dig that deep. You'll find a whole lot of junk: the broken families that we come from, broken families. For some of us, it's one of the reasons why Christmas can be so hard. Maybe one of the reasons why you're uneasy about the upcoming holiday season, you know what's coming up in a couple weeks. Family coming over, maybe you're going over to them for a holiday gathering. You know, that difficult person, right? Or that unreconciled relationship. Or just those tensions that always seem to come about when that subject is brought up. Or when that person enters into the room. Or maybe during the holiday season, you're looking at these images or TV commercials or movies of all the the perfect Christmas family gatherings around the perfect Christmas tree, people in their perfect Christmas sweaters with their perfect Christmas smiles, and maybe you're saying, man, that ain't my family. That ain't my family. But do you know that In the first half of this chapter that introduces us to Jesus' family. In the first half of this chapter, Matthew starts off the story of Jesus' birth with a genealogy. A family tree, as it were. So chapter 1, verse 1, the very beginning of the entire New Testament begins like this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and then it goes on and on and lists all these hard-to-pronounce names until we get to verse 16, which says, And Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. And you say, what's that all about? Well, God promised Abraham and King David in the Old Testament that he would send one of their descendants the Messiah, to rescue the world from its sin and sadness. So the main point of that genealogy that I was so merciful as to not to have to read to you, (laughs) the main point is to establish that Joseph is indeed from the family line of Abraham and David, which would mean that through uh, Joseph, his adoptive father, Jesus really is, the promised great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson of King David. In other words, he really is the Messiah. But, you see, if he's from that family, then that means the Savior of the world came from a family with a past. Because Abraham was a man of faith, but he almost sold out his own wife out of fear for himself. Jacob was a scoundrel and a manipulator. Rahab was a prostitute. Tamar seduced her own father-in-law to sleep with her. King David had a codependent relationship with his son Absalom. He was also an adulterer, murderer, and sexual abuser. Rehoboam, Abijah, Jehoshaphat, Uzziah, Manasseh, all messed up kings that abused their power for personal gain. And now, facing the possibility of leaving Mary, here's Joseph looking at even more family pain. Do you know that the Bible describes this family, Joseph's family, King David's family, Jesus' family, with an image of a chopped down tree. We saw it in the Old Testament reading from Isaiah 11, one place. What does the family tree of Jesus look like? A dead tree stump. How's that for a picture? Some of you are saying, that might as well be my family logo too. Listen, friends, God wants to give you a new family logo. See, because the picture we find in the prophets is a promise that there will come forth a new little shoot, a fresh shoot from the dead stump of Jesse, a, a living branch that will one, again, one day again bear fruit This is the way the Bible talks about the coming Messiah, that he's going to come from a spiritually dead family, a broken family, a family like the ones that we've got. So that if you embrace Jesus and his story and his family's story becomes your family's story, this gives us so much hope in the midst of our family brokenness. Why? Because here's what that means. If God can produce the Messiah of the world through his family, then he can work in your family. If God can bring about the redemption and the salvation of the world through these broken relationships, then he can work redemption and good news and even life in and through your broken family relationships. And I need that that kind of hope in my family. And maybe you do. We need to take into our hearts this confidence, this conviction that no family's sin, no family's dysfunction can keep God from working out his perfect promises and purposes for you. Because that's the kind of God we know and serve, the God of Advent, the God of Jesus and his broken family. And you say, but you you just don't know You just don't know my broken family. You just don't know the kind of impossible junk that we're dealing with. For any good to come of it, you might be thinking, that would take a miracle. You mean like a virgin birth? God can do that. God has done that. Advent is for broken people, broken families. Thirdly and lastly and very briefly, Advent is for sinners. We see it even in Jesus' name. The Greek form of Jesus' name is... Sorry, the name Jesus is the Greek form of the name Joshua, which in Hebrew means the Lord saves, which is why in verse 21 we're told, The angel said to Joseph about his baby, that's about to be born, and you're to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because this is what his name means. He, he, he will save his people from their sins. And so, of course, we have Jesus who doesn't say, no, that's too negative a name. I'm going to give him another one. He says, no, that fits about right in this family and with this daddy. Here's Joseph acknowledging his own need for his own son the one and only son. We're called to embrace the reality that we are called by God's word sinners. Try this Christmas just for a moment to try not to be self-centered. Try for just a moment to try not to see yourself in every conversation, in every gift that's exchanged, in every relationship. We are sinners to the core. Jesus has come to be gracious, not just for broken people, yes, but also to sinful people, selfish people like you and me. The only question is, can we admit it? Can we go to that place where we embrace ourselves as people in need of a Savior? See, because you know in every party or every family Christmas gathering, the greatest party foul is to take a gift that doesn't belong to you especially if you open it and it wasn't yours. Bad news, right? But see, the gift that God gives to every single one of us is a gift that comes with a tag that says, from God, but it also says to sinners. Because his gift of love can only really be received and opened up by those who say, that's me, a sinner. Someone desperate for the grace of God, someone who's willing to count themselves among those called sinners, who, if you hear it closely, means that you also have a share, therefore, in the very name of Jesus, who came and was named by his own work to save people such as me and such as you. Advent grace is for sinners. Dear friends, is that you? Who's Advent for? That first Advent, grace came to someone who was confused, humiliated. Someone who was from a far from perfect family. Someone who was a sinner in need of a Savior. Even when that Savior was his very own baby boy. And if that's true, maybe that means, maybe that means that Advent is for me. And maybe it means it's also for you. Let's pray.